0: This is Bill Newman, WHMP.
1: Welcome to the show. In today's Daily Hampshire Gazette, on the front page, unions push public higher ed spending. A long story from the State House News Service, the subhead coalition makes case for access ahead of news session. In the Republican, this headline higher ed leaders seek investments in education. Energized by the successful passage of ballot question one, education leaders and a handful of lawmakers gathered at the Statehouse yesterday to outline an urgent path to bolstering access to public colleges and universities across the Commonwealth, particularly for marginalized communities and first-generation students. Then there is an explanation of what the fair share amendment does, the amount of money that will be raised, the call for debt-free college tuition, and this paragraph, quote, We set the table by winning question one, and now it is time to make sure this reinvestment in high-quality, debt-free public higher education happens, Max Page, president of the Massachusetts Teachers Association, told activists, students, and elected officials Thursday morning, quote, you can't achieve a racially and economically just commonwealth without high-quality, debt-free public higher education. We have with us, of course, for his regular segment with us, Max Page, the president of the Massachusetts Teachers Association. Boy, have you been busy the last couple of days. Tell us who you've been meeting with, what you've been told, and what the prospects are for debt-free public higher education and more investment in education throughout the Commonwealth on account of the passage of question one. Max?
2: Great. Thanks, Bill. Yes. Um, and we've talked, we talked for so long about working to pass the the fair share amendment question one and as everyone knows we did that and that was an amazing victory and now the, now the debate turns to how and where that uh money gets spent and so we in the massachusetts teachers association and with our allies in the legislature and with other unions and groups um, and, and i would say also business leaders are trying to make the case for why finally we need this major reinvestment in public higher education so yesterday was a first step but it was actually very exciting Or you know in a state house that just reopened recently i think this was everyone understood this to be the largest gathering in the state house in three years because of course our state house was closed during the pandemic so we've been really trying to gather a wide range of um our of coalition members to make this case for why this has to happen now, and as as the quote you read said, I keep saying that that we have a lot of goals about making this a more racially and economically just state. We can't do that unless you give provide true access and debt free affordability to uh, great public colleges and universities.
1: One thing I read today that I th- really struck me was that the number of college advisors in high schools in the Commonwealth is so low that they carry an average caseload, if that's the right word, the number of advisees they have is four to 500. How can that possibly be of use when they have so little time to give students who really need that assistance in planning their future and in higher education?
2: Well, it's not possible. And, and I think the problem is, was articulated as both in our high schools which again helps uh, prevent students from getting the guidance they need maybe to get to college. But there's also in college advisors and there's more and more research to show that, yes, you can, it's great to get students in the door and provide some financial aid, but if you don't help guide them through their education and make sure that they have what they need, especially our working class students, to, that they won't get to graduation either on time or ever. We have 700,000 residents of the Commonwealth who have some college courses but no degree seven hundred thousand this is a state of seven million so one in ten people went to college for some courses but for whatever reason were not able to get to their degree and part of that answer just part is um, the availability of counselors but it's also of course about affordability um, and and supporting them so that they can go to college and also live during that time
1: when you just used the the words college advisor, you were talking about advisors at the colleges who can help students make the transition, first generation, never been to a college, maybe, maybe never been away from home, uh, have all this, uh, have these many, many challenges academically, socially, and otherwise, and there's a need for some assistance, some guidance at that point, because as you point out, too many never get to the finish line of that college degree
2: that's that's exactly right and there's we have um part of our we have four pillars of kind of transformation that we need for public higher education one of them is affordable debt-free public higher education the second one is about supporting what are called student success programs investments in faculty and staff and, and other programs to make sure that students once they're there they know the options, the curricular options, that they actually, they know how to access other funds to support, let's say childcare. We have many students, of course, who have children and um, other supports that, that they can get all the way through um, to, to graduation. This is more and more research shows that that kind of investment is brings such a return to the state because it doesn't help those 700,000 students to have maybe one or two courses and it doesn't help the Commonwealth to have students who haven't been able to complete their education.
1: Max, I'd be interested to know, based on your meetings with legislators, the rallies, the uh, meetings, and the uh, various events that have occurred in the last few days, can you give us some prognostication on where the money from question uh, two is going to be put, and in particular, Will there be investment and reinvestment in the community colleges, which is the place or the places that are the institutions that most, or at least a very large number of Massachusetts residents go to for their higher education or to begin their higher education? Tell us about that.
2: Um, Yes. So I I cannot make prognostications. The reason we were there on December 1st, um, very early out of the gate, was to say that in typical um, legislative sessions, higher education uh, gets kind of short shrift. So we really wanted to be clear that this was the time for a major reinvestment. Community colleges have to be front and center in the reinvestment for, this, for the students' guidance, for their financial aid, but also I have to say for the faculty and staff who are deeply, deeply underpaid, especially the adjunct faculty. We had a, a presentation by Phyllis Keenan, who I hope to have on this show at some point, an adjunct um, faculty math professor at Greenfield Community College who spoke about the incredible impact she's able to have on on students. And yet she gets paid $4,000 a course, doesn't know whether she's teaching the next term, has no health insurance, no pension. I mean, this is a pure exploitation. This is turning higher education in, into a, a gig work industry. So we really have to address that because we wanna welcome students in into a debt-free college, but it has to be high quality. And no matter how great people like Phyllis Keenan are at Greenfield Community College, she cannot do the job fully the way she wants on terrible pay, no job security, and a full-time faculty member at a community colleges teaches five, five courses in the fall, five courses in the spring, and is supposed to also do advising and everything else. So we have to address all of it, the affordability, the student supports, Fair wages and benefits, and then the final point in our pillar, four pillars of, of reinvestment, has to be green and healthy college buildings, paid for by the state, not paid for out of student fees on each individual campus.
1: I was struck by the article in the Gazette, which reported this. I had no idea, for those full professors, and as you point out, at the community colleges, Max, uh, many many courses are taught by adjuncts on a gig basis. But even for those faculty who are there full-time, for a full professor, that's PhD and all that went into that, for a full professor, the salary is $75,000. For a uh, faculty member uh, who is at the community college, starting full-time salaries for faculty are $47,000 and for professional staff, $42,000. And not surprisingly, the community colleges are having trouble hiring people, not to mention great people, because we pay what is a relative pittance compared to what those, those individuals can earn at other institutions of higher education.
2: Well, Bill, that's absolutely right. And You said relative pittance. If you compare us to other states and you adjust for the cost of living in Massachusetts, we are at the bottom. The worst, the worst pay for our community college faculty, and it's not far off for the other other sectors as well. And here's the thing is, one of the things we are um, saying to the legislature, but also governor-elect Healy, is state government is not succeeding in the way it should, in part because there are thousands of vacancies all across um, the state state employee system and all across our colleges and universities, which means the students are not being served in the way they should be. And part of that is um, the wages and benefits that simply have not even kept pace with inflation, not nearly. So in many ways, those numbers you read, the value of them has been dropping because pay has not been kept up with inflation. So that is certainly one part of what we have to do here. We have to talk about debt-free, and high quality and we can't separate those out we can't say oh let's just focus on you know a quick fix and get a few more students into college we have to make sure we're also investing on the staff and faculty side
1: so where does the massachusetts teachers association go from here with regard to this push to utilize the 1.3 to 2 billion dollars that will be coming in next year on account of the fair share amendment what's the next step
2: Well, so the next step, Bill, is, well, there's two next steps. One is broadening this higher ed for all coalition. And it was actually notable that we had Greg Bilecki, who was the former uh, undersecretary of housing and urban development in Massachusetts, speaking as well on behalf of a growing list of business leaders who say Massachusetts has no oil, it has no diamonds, it has no gold, it has educated people, and we will fail if we don't educate um, a sufficient number of of, uh, people. So that's. That's one part of it. The second part is now becomes the process of taking those principles I laid out and turning them into legislation. And in the past, our own Senator Joe Comerford, who spoke beautifully at this event yesterday, is the lead sponsor on what we have called the Cherish Act, and that refers to a line in our state constitution, the oldest constitution in the world, continuously operating on constitution, which talks about cherishing public education. And so she will be working with us and other legislators to craft a new bill, new Cherish Act, for the new session that begins in January.
1: When you say a new Cherish Act, is that a change in policy or is that a matter of funds going to higher education?
2: No, no. It would be just changing the legislation which we filed and unfortunately has not passed before. But I think we're going to be just tweaking it um, and uh, you know updating some of the, the numbers and the approach in that bill, and then we hope to have a big, another big rollout, um, and then get a lot of legislators to sign on, and really uh, make clear that uh, once the fair share amendment goes into effect, January 1, 2023, that um, a good portion of that has to go to public higher education.
1: And refresh my memory. The cher- refresh my memory, please, Max. The Cherish Act provides what?
2: Well, the Cherish Act in the past was about um, in reinvesting in public higher education, maintaining um, affordability by going back to the funding levels in, um, from 2001. We have had a decline, almost a, you know, a steep decline in the per student spending in public higher education since then. We made some improvements in, a couple, in recent years. But the, um, the idea it was pro- would probably be to really articulate, build the, the bill around these four pillars that we laid out so that we combine quality and affordability in, in one bill.
1: We're going to leave it there. We've been speaking with Max Page. He's with us every Friday for his segment, Your State, You. Max is the president of the Massachusetts Teachers Association. Thanks for your time, Max. Really appreciate it.
2: Thanks, Bill.
0: This is Bill Newman, WHMP.
3: At American National, what's important to you is important to us. Just like every horse is unique, so is our equine coverage. American National's equine owner's insurance is designed to address the inherent risks involved with owning horses. Flexible enough to provide property and liability coverage for operations of various sizes, yet can be tailored for your specific needs. We're right by your side. For more information, just visit AmericanNational.com. American National Property and Casualty Company and Affiliates, Springfield, Missouri.
0: You want the very best opportunities for your child. Given the amount of time children spend in school each day, you want your child to be inspired, to be engaged, to love going to school. At Bement, each student experiences this every day. The Bement School in Deerfield is a close-knit community of students from around the valley and across the globe, kindergarten through ninth grade, learning from each other in the classroom, rooting for each other on the athletic field, and celebrating each other on the stage. We are local, we are global, and our differences make us stronger. We interact face-to-face, share meals together every day, and open doors for one another. The true essence of your child's time at Bement is preparing for a life of integrity, of significance, of joy. Financial aid and transportation are available to help make a Bement school education possible. I'm Kim Lachlan, Director of Admission. Please contact me or visit our website. Bement will be the best investment you make in your child's future. It's getting very, very merry today in downtown Amherst. It's a very merry maple lighting. Gather around on the Amherst Town Common for the lighting of the tree, cider and donuts, the UMass Minuteman marching band, Santa arriving on a fire truck, and Santa will pose for a photo with you. A very merry maple lighting today, three to seven on the Amherst Town Common. Saturday, get merry with downtown Amherst merchants. It's 20% off day all day at participating stores and restaurants. Merry, merry, merry downtown Amherst.
2: Space, a final frontier.
0: This is Bill
1: Newman, WHMP. And this is indeed Salman Hamid's universe. Salman Hamid is a professor at Hampshire College and an astronomer with us every month for his universe, what we sometimes call his ridiculously large and largely ridiculous universe. Salman Hamid, thank you so much for being with us. I'd love to get your impression and your reflections on what the Chinese are doing in space now. This week, it's been front page news for those of us who look at newspapers and all over the media. A rocket that was just gargantuanly large, um, uh, blasted off, uh, uh, built and put into space by the Chinese. What is happening in that sphere? Please, Salman
6: um uh, thank you bill um and uh, and and i should just uh, mention that uh, you had just asked me before coming on air about james webb space telescope and i do want to go on air to clarify that as well that uh, it is not sleeping it is all still working uh, and it's working all the time because it's away from the sun uh but uh, you know uh, but we want to have variety of things to talk about but it's all of its images are coming in and it's working fine and so on and so forth and we'll talk about if there is an amazing image although all of the ima- images are amazing but if something really amazing comes in we will talk about it in fact next month because there is expected to be sort of like you know a survey of uh, sort of like some of the earliest galaxies i think uh, by next month those results will be out so Th- this we'll is talk about that.
1: so we're going to be talking about light that was uh, emitted some 14 billion years ago give or take a few hundred million
6: Yes, yes. And so those are not out yet. So the part of it was released uh, a few months ago and the next part is going to be released uh, in December. And so in January for the new year, we'll talk about that. But on a much more closer level, uh, and in fact, even before we get to the Chinese Space Station, I should mention that this next week, December 7th, is the 50th anniversary of the last human mission to the moon uh, landing mission to the moon apollo 17 that was launched on december 7th and it was the only mission that actually had a scientist on it <laughs> Apollo mission uh, and and the reason uh was because when apollo 18 was canceled in september so the scientific community was like hey at least we should send scientists at least one of us should be there to actually look at the moon and Harrison Schmidt was the was a geologist-astronaut, and he was put on the last mission uh, that landed on the moon, um, Apollo 17. And that is the context in which, I think, to properly talk about what is happening in terms of the Chinese uh, space station, Chinese missions, and the uh, NASA mission right now, Artemis 1, that is orbiting the moon.
1: Okay, so you've... Uh... Put aside the uh, Chinese space station discussion, <laughs> the Chinese for a while, and you've mentioned everything else going on. Well, let's go with the everything else for a minute. Artemis, what is it? Why is it? And how is it? And is it being successful?
6: Right. So Artemis is a program uh, to go back uh, to the moon from NASA, and so Artemis was sister of Apollo. So it's the appropriate uh, aspect to that. And um, and Artemis One. This was a sort of like long-awaited, long-delayed uh, mission, uh, which is just—it's an uncrewed mission. Three mannequins are in it, uh, but it's—it uses uh, SLS, which sounds pretty cool, but it's—it's it's just a space launch system. This is the big rocket it used. Uh, this rocket is comparable to Saturn V, a little bit smaller than Saturn V. And uh, this mission has gone on around the moon right now. It is uh, going to be on its way back from the moon and uh, it sets up the stage. this is the first test of this spacecraft. The spacecraft itself is called Orion. And eventually it will take four astronauts to the moon, land on the moon and back. Artemis II is is going to be a crewed mission uh, which is going to be uh, in 2024, and it will orbit the moon and come back. And then ultimately Artemis, not ultimately, but Artemis III is supposed to take astronauts where uh, they will land on near the South Pole of the moon. And it's supposed to carry a woman astronaut as well and uh, a person of color as well. So uh, it's going to be the diversity checkbox uh, for the Artemis program. So that's expected. In 2025.
1: So while you were talking, while you were talking, Salman, uh, I did take a quick look uh, about Artemis, who indeed uh, is identified as the twin sister of Apollo. By the way, she's also the goddess of the hunt and vegetation, and of chastity and childbirth. Kind of seems <laughs> to be kind of a odd combination, but not this time of year, Newman. Christmas <laughs> is right around the corner. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so why, why are we going back to the moon?
6: Well, uh, th- that's that's a bigger question. Uh, and, uh, and so there is a lot of interest in going back because this time it's not in the context of the old Cold War uh, where it was just the race to get to the moon but now potentially it's the part of the new cold war <laughs> which company says that it's a new cold war but it's with china china is also planning on going back to the moon uh they are planning on having astronauts potentially in 20 and early 2030s and uh and there is a motion to uh, have a base on the moon so artemis program eventually uh, will have that's actually what they're main goal is to have a base on the moon. That's why the landing site is going to be close to the South Pole, where we know there is water ice uh, in the shadows of the craters. These craters actually never see the sunlight. And so you have this, uh, water. I mean, water is needed for human presence, and it's very heavy. So if you are going to have a base on the moon, you don't want to be carrying water bottles from here Earth, because it just adds a lot of weight to be launched. So if you can find a source and that was discovered about 10, 15, I mean, 15 20, 20 years ago for the first time, like you know that there is actually water that hasn't evaporated. And that is located in those shadows of craters where the sun never shines. And so that's where uh, these uh, places are going to be. So China is also planning on a base on the moon. So is the U.S. And one of the goals is that if you also have water, apart from drinking, you can also turn it into, uh, you can separate it hydrogen and from oxygen and you can also use it as a fuel uh, to launch uh, vehicles from the surface or, or from the moon. And so there are all these other aspects to it.
1: Will the American base and the Chinese base be in the same neighborhood?
6: We don't know yet. And it's going to be all going to be very interesting of how all of these things are going to take place, Um, and perhaps a
1: little awkward. Hi, can we borrow a cup of sugar? I mean, how's that going to (laughs) work?
6: Well, I mean, but I mean, in in some sense, uh, if you think about. International Space Station. Uh, th- there is a lot of cooperation, even, uh, and that was one of the goals of the International Space Station. Originally, it was called Freedom Space Station, uh, like you know, a little too much. But, uh, but, but the goals was that to bring warring or, or sort of like you know, uh, competing uh, competing countries together, at least in space, and 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 even before that, uh, in the uh, in the right after Apollo program. There was Apollo-Soyuz mission, which actually joined at the height of the Cold War, Soviet and American astronauts, and, uh, and so on and so forth. So uh, so it is plausible that actually, if there are bases on the moon of, of competing nations, that actually they cooperate over there uh, to borrow a wrench, for example, space wrench.
1: Except that the Chinese, <laughs> the, the Chinese declined to be involved with the International Space Station, didn't they? Or no? No.
6: No, the, it was the other way around. Uh, Chinese actually wanted to join the International Space Station. They did not want to have a separate station. But in 2011, uh, the U.S. Congress uh, passed a decree prohibiting any kind of cooperation with China in space or any science sectors. And that killed, I mean, Chinese uh, ambitions to join uh, the International Space Station. And in 2011, they announced the construction of, uh, or the intended goal of constructing their own uh, space station, and which comes in beautifully uh, joined together, uh, Bill, as we started this conversation about what is going on in space from Chinese space programs. So, just uh, last month, they launched the final part, final module of the Chinese space station, uh, which is named Tiangong, a palace in the sky. And which is now ready. And uh, as we speak, it has actually six uh, astronauts over there, or Taikonauts, for Chinese astronauts. And uh, it, it will hold a crew. I mean, at one time, I mean, sort of like you now these these programs can take three uh, in and a spacecraft, but right now, uh, three uh, astronauts were already there, Three others from China have right now joined them, and then three will come back. So so this, space station, Chinese space station, was a direct result for from the exclusion of China from International Space Station in 2011.
1: We need to take a quick break, during which we will celebrate the brilliance of the United States Congress and our policies. Just being a little sarcastic. And we'll be right back with Professor and Astronomer Salman Hamid.
2: me to the moon, let me play among the stars. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. See what spring is like on. At you.
7: For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Northampton High School is close to finding a new principal. William Worley, the only finalist for the job, met with members of the community Wednesday to field questions. Worley says he's committed to supporting diversity and equity. Worley spent the day at the school meeting with administrators and various student organizations. If chosen, he would replace Lori Bailey in court, who resigned following an investigation into her conduct. The school plans to make a final decision this month. Multiple agencies are searching for a missing hunter in Chesterfield. The hunter was last seen on Bates Road off Fuller Road. Police are searching the densely wooded area in Chesterfield and Goshen with the help of canines. Police say they began the search around 6 p.m. Wednesday night after a person close to the hunter received a phone call saying he was lost in the woods. The search spans across a heavily wooded area, and authorities are taking multiple approaches involving police dogs, the state's Department of Fire Services, special operations, state police, and multiple sheriff's departments. Governor Charlie Baker made a stop in Asheville yesterday to celebrate the progress on bringing broadband to every town in Massachusetts. The Baker-Polito administration has been working since 2016 to bring broadband networks to every community and today almost all have them, with the exception of seven communities still in progress. Over the course of the project, 40,000 telephone poles have been planted and 2,000 miles of fiber have been laid. Lieutenant Governor Polito said they have laid the infrastructure so the next administration may continue the work.
3: Mostly sunny today with a light breeze and a high of 42 to 46. Increasing clouds tonight. Evening temperatures in the upper 30s, overnight lows in the low 30s. Rain and wind here tomorrow with a high of 52 to 56. Mixture of sun and clouds and breezy on Sunday. I'm 22 News Storm Team meteorologist Brian Lapis, 1015 WHMP.
7: This news minute is brought to you by our partners at Holyoke
8: Media. Yo soy Johan Vega con la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media. Los demócratas de la Cámara dieron paso a una nueva generación de líderes el miércoles con el representante Jaquín Jeffries elegido para ser el primer estadounidense negro en encabezar un partido político importante en el Congreso en un momento crucial cuando la presidenta de la Cámara de Representantes Nancy Pelosi y su equipo se retiran el próximo año. Mostrando una rara unidad de partido después de sus derrotas electorales de mitad de periodo, los demócratas de la Cámara pasaron sin problemas de un líder histórico a otro, eligiendo al neoyorquino de 52 años quien prometió hacer las cosas en el nuevo Congreso, incluso después de que los republicanos ganaron el control de la Cámara. La votación a puerta cerrada fue unánime por aclamación. Es raro que un partido que perdió las elecciones intermedias se reagrupe tan fácilmente y contrasta con la agitación entre los republicanos que luchan por unirse en torno al líder republicano Kevin McCarthy como nuevo presidente de la Cámara mientras se preparan para tomar el control cuando el nuevo Congreso se convoca en enero. En otras informaciones, la Cámara de Representantes de los Estados Unidos tomó medidas urgentes para evitar la huelga ferroviaria nacional que se avecinaba el miércoles y aprobó un proyecto de ley que vincularía a las empresas y los trabajadores a un acuerdo propuesto que se alcanzó en septiembre, pero que fue rechazado por algunos de los 12 sindicatos involucrados. La medida fue aprobada por una votación de 290 a 137 y ahora se dirige al Senado. Si se aprueba allí, será firmado por el presidente Joe Biden, quien instó al Senado a actuar con rapidez. Los grupos empresariales y la asociación comercial Association of American Railroads elogiaron el voto de la Cámara para bloquear la huelga, pero instaron a los senadores a resistirse a agregar tiempo por enfermedad al acuerdo. Yo soy Johan Rashi-Vega, y esta fue la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media a través de WHMP.
7: This News Minute has been brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media.
8: Space, a final frontier.
2: This is
0: Bill Newman, WHMP.
1: We continue our conversation with Hampshire College professor and astronomer Salman Hamid. We were talking during the break and kind of goofing around, and uh, I was raising the issue of how the Chinese and uh, other countries were going to get along or not on the moon with these different uh, – do not know sure if I want to call them settlements, but maybe that's the right word. Uh, and I asked uh, the professor if their China, the Chinese and the United States and other countries who will be involved have a treaty or an agreement – with regard to not claiming the, the the moon for themselves, not making it a, the territory of a specific nation and otherwise uh, cooperating internationally. And I'm wondering what you can share with us about that. someone
6: Right, so, so actually the question that you had asked was uh, have the Chinese sort of like, you know, sign the treaty uh, and and what will happen?
1: That, well, that was a better question, yeah.
6: Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, but I, I would say, so have we signed the treaty, and what are we going to do with that? I mean, so that's, a, that's a better the,
1: question, too. Why don't you just do both <laughs> sides of the conversation? It'll be so much easier.
6: The, the everybody, uh, every, almost all countries of the world actually signed the Outer Space Treaty of 1967, uh, which, uh, as you can imagine, it's, it's a bit old. But that is a very optimistic uh, treaty in which uh, it argued that well, no nation can own um, uh, sort of like a piece of their heavenly bodies and so on and so forth. Then there was a follow-up treaty in 1977, which was uh, the Moon Treaty, and uh, some countries signed it, but any all the countries that could have gone to the moon and had been to the moon did not and so the only treaty that everybody has signed is 1967 one which is vague enough that it's unclear about we are unclear about its effectiveness and what i mean by that is uh, especially with the entry of uh, private companies for example well they're not nations so what does that mean and uh, us had been talking about it for a while actually that like you know outer space treaty. I mean what does it mean like you know that you don't own it while we just have a base up there right and so i think these are all the questions that are going to come up very soon uh and uh i think we have people are thinking about it but i think we have to start taking it much more seriously because in some sense it's a wild west out there and it's wild or white wild outer space out there Uh, regulations are not clear and certainly if you have who's going to enforce them how are they going to be enforced and so on and so forth i think those are all questions that are out there the next 10 years you are going to see a huge expansion of uh, human presence in space private presence in space uh, commercial uh, commercialization of space uh, and nations in space multiple nations in space How is it going to happen in the next 10 years? I mean, I think we are right now writing our future. And so far, if we look at writing our past from our history of humans on earth, we haven't done that good of a job being here. This is a really crucial time on what kind of rules are we going to make? What kinds of rules are we going to follow especially in space. Uh, So this is a really important time. I think the next 10 years are going to define what humans or human species are going to look like uh, in space.
1: There'll be issues, for example, about mining and who gets to uh, excavate um, uh, the minerals that may be on the moon and who gets access to that ice that can be turned into water, and are the private companies, I mean, if there's a uh, settlement called uh, Muskville, no trespassing. First Amendment allowed, but no trespassing. I mean, it's going to be really confusing. and
6: uh, it is yeah it's it's, it's uh, that's the reason I'm saying actually I'm much more uh, I'm actually much more worried about it because those kind of rules are not set And you are mentioning about the aspect about mining in terms of what happens in there, but you also uh i think we'll be thinking about aspects of uh labor laws for example something that you are interested in It and that is about the fact that well i mean you have uh if musk has sort of like you know a bunch of uh workers over there and i'm just picking on musk i mean you can you can think about anybody else what happens who gets to be ruled are they being exploited or not and so on and so forth uh so uh, so anyway, so yeah, so I think I think those factors are all important.
1: So let me ask you this: We were also talking during the break about December seventh as an important anniversary for the environmental movement in the United States, uh, and how this new enormous rocket that is bringing the final pieces to the Chinese space station and blasted off. Well, that was a very impressive launch. It's an important date, and I'm wondering if you could square this circle for us.
6: Yeah, I mean, uh, so so there are these two aspects. I mean, we are talking about what could be the problematic future, and and, and just uh, I would add one little note to it that this exploitation of uh, of natural resources from up there, uh, partly like uh, we were talking about 2011. Well, that was also under President Obama that he actually allowed this rule that if a private company excavates, for example, something from an asteroid, they can keep the profit. So they don't own the asteroid, but they, something that is extracted, they can do that. This was under uh, President Obama, and that is the precedent that is being used now for other things as well. So, uh, so just uh, uh, for our sort of like, you know, uh, left liberal uh, leanings, I mean, I should also mentioned it uh, within that context. But as we talk about this challenging times that are associated with this kind of space exploitation, space exploration of this nature, you also have the image of the Earth. Uh, I think we talked about a little bit about the Earthrise image from Apollo 8. But next week is also going to be the 50th anniversary of the most famous image of the Earth. It's called Blue Marble. It's the most reproduced image in the world as a photograph. And that was the image of the Earth taken by the Apollo 17 astronauts. This was on December 7th as they were heading to the moon. And that's a beautiful, spectacular image. And that really showed us how fragile our planet is. And that also, I mean, it didn't kick off the environmental movement, but it certainly helped uh the, the environmental movement as well that we have to take care of the planet and and in some sense uh, ironically there, there is this wonderful uh, book by uh by uh, robert poole a historian and it's called earth rise how man first saw the earth and in some sense i mean ironically what he talks about it is that apollo mission was supposed to be about the moon and instead it became one of the most important legacies was it was about looking back at the earth and showing us the importance of the earth so these are the type of competing futures that we are looking at and hopefully we take a saner path
1: yeah and as for that photograph what a beautiful beautiful place this earth is if we only can leave it that way Salman Hamid thank you so much we really love talking with you
6: thank you this is
0: Bill Newman WHMP
5: I see somebody dressed up as uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer running. We have Uh, someone
1: as a Christmas tree. It looks
5: like they're wearing pine needles. (laughs) I don't know if that makes it more or less fun to run in. This Sunday, the hot chocolate run for Safe Passage is back. And WHMP will be there live broadcasting from the run in downtown Northampton. Safe Passage is the Hampshire County organization addressing domestic violence. You still got time to sign up to Run, Walk, or Volunteer? Then share your fundraising page with family and friends to create year-round support for survivors of domestic violence violence. Join us live in person in downtown Northampton this Sunday or join us right here on WHMP for the live broadcast of the Hot Chocolate Run for Safe
1: Passage. When you look at this event, does it say something to you about Northampton as a community?
0: It's a remarkable testament to what people can do when they're all working on the same issue.
5: WHMP's support of the Hot Chocolate Run is made possible by Whalen Insurance, Northampton. Local people, local service, local insurance. I once had a customer who asked us to make a very special fruit
9: basket. I want 25 pounds of bananas, he said, with a note attached that reads, I'm bananas over you. Will you marry me? You know, I've always wondered about their wedding cake. At State Street Market, we make fruit baskets, of course we do. But just because it's a basket, doesn't mean you've got to fill it with fruit. How about a basket filled with, what, soda pop or microbrews? There are Chardonnay baskets, Merlot, Shiraz. Give us a price range and we'll fetch you a combination of bottles from the wine cellar that'll make someone dizzy with delight. Oh, we do baskets. Local goat cheeses and six kinds of crackers. Cookie baskets based on the cities of the world. Milano, Brussels. We've even put together the ingredients for the perfect minestrone. The fresh vegetables, the spice jar, the pasta. Hey, if you can dream it, State Street can put it in a basket. State Street Deli, State Street Fruit, State Street Wines and Spirits, Northampton. Delivery
3: too. It happens all over Massachusetts. In every home and every community.
4: Learning can happen
3: anytime, anywhere. And no matter how learning takes place in your family's life, Desi is there as your partner. The Massachusetts Department of Elementary and Secondary Education. Never stop learning. Find out more at Bass.gov slash back to school. Sponsored by the Massachusetts Department for Elementary and Secondary Education. This week's
5: Shop Tuesday is Berkshire East. This Tuesday at 9 a.m., Berkshire East Resort releases certificates for their lift tickets in Charlemagne. Enjoy great skiing and riding close to home. With massive upgrades and 100% snowmaking coverage, they're ready to provide an awesome skiing experience every time you visit. And this Tuesday, you save 30%. Berkshire East Resort in Charlemagne, available this Tuesday at 9 a.m. on the Shop 30 store at WHMP.com.
0: This is Bill Newman, WHMP.
1: And this is Artbeat with our segment host, Donnabelle Cassis. Donnabelle has with her and us today a very special guest. The pleasure of the introduction and the microphone is yours. Donnabelle.
10: Thank you, Bill. Good morning. This week, actually following next week, you have one week left to view this most amazing, powerful show. It's called Stitching Time, the Social Justice Collaboration Quilts Project, and it's on view at the Augusta Savage Gallery at UMass, both in the gallery and online through December 9th. Alexia Cota, Dis- Associate Director of the gallery, is with us today, welcome.
4: Thank you so much, Donnabelle.
10: Alexia, these quilts inspire a visual conversation. Can you give us a little background about the Social Justice Collaboration Quilt Project? Sure. Um, So
4: in 1997, um, incarcerated men uh, serving life sentences at Louisiana State Penitentiary known as Angola, and I'll probably continue to refer to it as Angola, um, created a hospice program to take care for um, other incarcerated men who are dying. So these were men who weren't taking care of, of their friends. And um, they realized very quickly that they needed to find uh, money in order to pay for additional things for these men like Vaseline for their lips or socks or shirts that the state was not providing for them Mm. and every year Angola has a rodeo where uh, those who are incarcerated who make things, um, crafts, leather leather leatherworks, things like that, they were making quilts and selling quilts at um, this rodeo to raise that money. And the quilts project is, uh, the hospice quilts project is also part of the funeral services given to those um, who pass away in that hospice program. Really, really beautiful, uh, beautiful program there. Uh, So Maureen Kelleher is a private investigator and she was a longtime friend of an inside quilter and a hospice quilter, uh, Kenya. And in 2012, they created this project, the Social Justice Collaboration Quilts Project, where Kenya and some of the other hospice quilters or other uh, incarcerated men and friends of his who quilt or who create art, there's drawing and painting and writing on pieces of fabric as well, started to work together um, to create these amazing quilts, telling stories, you know, they pick a subject matter, or a theme or a person that they want to honor. And um, they create these amazing quilts. And the project, there's 14 quilts on exhibit at Augusta Savage Gallery right now. But mm. the project has, I think, over 50 quilts at this point. And the wow. number continues to grow. There's mm-hmm. many, many inside quilters and outside quilters working on this project. Uh, um, and more, oh, sorry. Oh no! Go ahead. (laughs) Um, And just another another quick element of it. uh, Maureen has been able to acquire clips of songs from some major artists um, like Bruce Springsteen and Joan Baez, um, amongst many Randy Newman, amongst many other musical artists. And she pairs music, and she has these inside quilters' voices on the outside. So not only do we get to see what they create and get their voice and their artistic vision that way but we also have uh, their voices on the outside uh, to hear what what they have to say about their work.
10: So um, I mean incredible incredible project and I know so the Louisiana State Penitentiary is colloquially known as Angola and so yes. you're, you're referring to this Angola um, project quilters uh, project and so you know I want to talk a little bit about the quilts themselves, obviously, but... Um, I'd like to just add this,
1: too. Angola, just yeah, for our right. listeners who don't know, is one of the grimmest uh, high-security prisons in the country. It's a horrifying place by reputation.
4: It, it's notorious. There's many, mm-hmm. many documentaries on Angola, and the and the books. name Angola comes from uh, a plantation that it was built upon. So,
7: mm-hmm.
4: yeah, it, it's... Um, it's a hard place. <laughs> I mean, I don't think any any prison is an easy place, but it's an extremely hard place to be, and the, the, the beauty that comes out of that place is, is tremendous.
10: Well, the, the quilts are stunning, and uh, they're quite vibrant, quite powerful. There's text, there's images. One of the images that um, we see in many of them are images of James Baldwin. And what is special connection with the New Africa building at UMass with with him?
4: It there's so many connections with this project even though you know they've had nothing to do with UMass prior to this exhibition um Mm -hmm. but there's a lot of James Baldwin and James Baldwin um the New Africa House and the Afro-Am Department the WB Du Bois Department of Afro-Am Studies has the honor of, of having James Baldwin teach and speak within those walls um so his he's he's a big presence in the building in which the gallery is in so it was
7: mm-hmm.
4: so beautifully <laughs> coincidental that there's a lot of images of of him in this ex- exhibition
10: now the this exhibition focuses on work by the founders Kenya and um, Maureen and uh several other artists from the air from the prison, um, but you're also, th- this project is also starting to include other facilities, not just Angola. Can you talk about that a little bit?
4: Yes. Yeah, so uh, Maureen has, w- when they pick a theme, she reaches out to other other incarcerated men from other facilities to participate. So um, Ramsey participated. Ramsey Orta filmed the killing of Eric Gardner in 2014 mm-hmm. and ended up having a campaign of police harassment since then and was in prison. And so Ramsey Orta participated in one of the quilts and uh, Leonard Peltier, a, a big name in the American Indian movement, he has participated in this project, but he's not in Angola either. So it it really has spread throughout the country um where all people from all over are are contributing to this project. It's really quite phenomenal.
10: Alexia, how can people see this incredible show? Uh, What are the hours? Where can they go? Um, And I know that you can also see this online.
4: The gallery hours are Mondays and Tuesdays from 1 p.m. to 7 p.m. and Wednesday through Friday 1 p.m. to 5 p.m. The exhibition will be up until next Friday, uh, December 9th. Uh, There's also a live event that evening and you can go online to learn more about that. Mm-hmm. Um, you could also go online to fineartscenter.com slash Augusta. And you can view these quilts online and hear most of the recordings. There's one recording in the space that you can't hear online. Um, and you can you can listen and um, view the quilts. However, I do say, if you can get to the gallery, please get to the gallery. The, the online exhibition is beautiful, but it, it doesn't quite do it justice.
10: Alexia Cota, thank you so much for bringing this show to us in Western Mass here and um, such important work and such important art. Thanks again for joining us today.
4: Thank you so much.
1: And Bell Cassis, thank you. And thank you for bringing Alexia Cota to us.
9: Bill Newman,
8: WHM
3: The afternoon buzz with legendary civil rights attorney from Ashfield, Buzz Eisenberg. Buzz will bring you his take on the day's news, plus arts, culture and politics from the Valley, weekday afternoons at four. The only live and local talk in the Valley and for the Valley, the afternoon buzz. WHMP.
4: How long and how hard would you work to own your own home? At Pioneer Valley Habitat for Humanity, future homeowners contribute dozens of hours to build a home for their family, but they need your help. Thousands of community supporters have participated in this work since 1989. They create a partnership with a future homeowner and Habitat to build a home, strengthen our neighborhoods, and create a legacy for our community. Grab a hammer, lend a hand, build a better world. Volunteer and support Pioneer Valley Habitat for Humanity. Live and local
3: Talk for Northampton and the Valley since 1950. WHMP Northampton. WHMQ Greenfield. Northampton Radio Group Station.